chapter of what happens when you find out you've been diagnosed. So, do you want to go first or you want me to go first? Uh, before we even get into the details of what happened to me, to me, this was by far the worst chapter of the story for me. The, the, the time of knowing you have cancer, between that time and knowing what you're going to do about it, yeah. I felt so helpless and lost and confused and scared that once I had a plan and we could move forward with it, I felt so much more in control. But this world, that, that, that period of time between those things is just agony. At least it was for me. And, and why do you think that is? It's so disorienting for the first part. Like, like you're going along and life is normal. And, and you get this curveball. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're in this place that you don't know where to be. And so there's the emotional impact of it. It's terrifying. Um, yeah, the magnitude of the problem is the biggest problem yeah. that most of the people have ever faced in their life up until then. And you've always right. heard, well, you know. Yeah. It's somebody else, yeah. Right, and like, you know, it's used as an example, like the same way that they're like, well, I'm not a brain surgeon, and they're like, well, at least I don't have cancer. Right. Like, having cancer seems like this horrible place to be, and then all of a sudden you find yourself there, and it's like hard for your brain to even process all of that. Yeah. And then there's this horrible feeling, at least for me, of, and you're in the driver's seat. Like, the doctor diagnoses you, but then they move on to their next patient, and you're just stuck with, okay, what do I need to do now? And, like, the ball's only going to move forward if I move it forward. Mm -hmm. And so every day that goes by, you you don't know what are the implications of one extra day. Like, right. If I, I remember don't... that. I remember, I remember that feeling. So, like, for me, um, between, like, the diagnosis of you have cancer to the type of cancer and what do you do with treatment those yes. days and you, you're just like I've got a tumor yeah. and it's growing and meanwhile the doctor is off because it's the weekend or the pathology lab doesn't have the results because of whatever and you're just sitting there and that exactly. feeling of the tumor's not on vacation The right? yeah yeah. And the doctor has other patients. Right. That, like, this is the only cancer I've got. Yeah. And I, it's in my body doing yeah. something that I don't want it to be doing. Yeah. I very much remember that. I hated that. Yeah. And I, so I also was forced with what do I do about the cancer and what do I do about fertility? Mm -hmm. Because. Right. It's a ovarian cancer. I, yes. I, I had testicular cancer. So one of the same things. Right. Well, I gotta worry about that. And I wanna we, have children. Right. And we didn't yeah. we don't we still don't have children. Yeah. And so this whole idea that you're gonna go through treatment that may or may not sterilize you. Right. Or may or may not affect your ability to have children going forward. So while you're figuring out what, what cancer treatment, treatment you're gonna do. Yeah, you're, there's this long range life plan thing that all of a sudden accelerate. Exactly. Or is going to be taken off the table for you, yeah. which for whatever reason was emotionally more challenging to me mm -hmm. than the cancer thing. So it's just, I was not prepared. Yeah. To Interesting. So that, that was actually the bigger deal for you than the cancer at the time. So my surgeon removed this giant tumor 
in my post-op appointment told me you have mucinous ovarian cancer. His recommendation at that point was to have a completion surgery. And a completion surgery in ovarian cancer means take out your remaining ovary, your uterus, Mm -hmm. and some other fun things that you don't really need, like your omentum, which is a fatty... I thought it was a type of myth, the omentum. It's no, it's it's a fatty layer of tissue that I thought when they took out, uh-huh. I would then have a six pack, but I don't. But you don't. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> so that was kind of a drag, uh-huh. but um, and then some lymph nodes and other things like that. And so his, my doctor at the time said, I want to have your completion surgery, and then I recommend six rounds of chemotherapy. Um, and the chemotherapy they rec- he recommended was called carbotaxol, which is a pretty traditional regimen for ovarian cancer Mm. and I was really hesitant to have the completion surgery because that would basically preclude us from having children that were biologically mine Mm. I was not worried about chemo I was more worried about the surgery so yes at that point I was not as worried about the cancer treatment as I was about the impact on our kind of future on being a parent yeah right of of a child of you you're you're you're, yeah having your own baby yeah so I had two parallel tracks then in that chapter of the fertility work and then the oncology work. And so the fertility track was actually fairly straightforward, but it was not because the doctors helped me. I happened to have a friend who happened to know about a fertility center at UCSF that specializes in cancer patients. And had she not connected me with them, I don't know what I would have done. Mm-hmm. But this was not something that was I was guided through through my medical team. This was something that I had to, had to find proactively other, find. Other resources, exactly. other friends, friends of friends, yeah. And and in hindsight, I don't know how that how those dominoes would have fallen for mm-hmm. me or if they would have had that not landed in my lap. Yeah. They were spectacular. I ended up having two um, egg harvesting rounds where uh-huh. I was injecting myself with hormones and doing all the stimulation with my one little remaining ovary that could um, to get as many eggs as possible. Um, and through the like modern miracle of science, they did two egg harvesting rounds in three weeks, which I didn't even think was possible. Um, and there was a whole debate do you just do eggs? Do you do embryos? All of this stuff. And um, we decided to do embryos, and we ended up with 19 of them. Okay. We call them our kidsicles. They are on ice. Uh-huh. I'm paying lots and lots of money for uh-huh. them to be sitting in a freezer somewhere. Uh-huh. But being able to do that while I was pursuing second and third and fourth opinions allowed me to be much more comfortable with the idea of this completion surgery. Yeah. So let me ask you, do you, do you actually feel some emotional, maternal connection to your kid sickles or not? Weirdly, no. And, I, yeah, I thought that it, I didn't know if I'm, how I felt about being a parent until this happened to me. I didn't realize that I cared about having biological kids until they told until, me. Until you were forced. Until they were told me, like, hey, we're going to yeah. take your you know, yeah. over in uterus. So that was surprising to me. And then I thought I would care about being pregnant, and it turns out, I learned through this experience, I don't give a damn. The idea of carrying, 
like being pregnant is actually not important to me. And I didn't know that until this happened. So it just, it was an interesting experience of really facing your own mortality and facing the loss of these things. I never experienced how much they mattered to me until I was really in that situation. Yeah. So no, for whatever reason, I don't have a maternal feeling for the kids' goals, but I do care that... They represent potential children, not real children right now. Yeah, it's all all very um, theoretical at the moment. Yeah. But the, the idea that if we were to have children that they would be biologically mine does matter to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's something about, you know, I mean, I, I, I think every parent has their own joy, mm-hmm. regardless of if it's biologically yours or adopted, but it's a different different experience, you know, with with, with each, I think, a little bit. I mean, you, when, you, when, you, when you get to, when you get to, see your child do things that you know you did or that your spouse did or whatever. You can see yourself in them. It's a a little bit bit different feeling. But, wow. Okay, so um, you had guidance from the doctor on what to do for your oncologist, what to do with your your treatment. And you had help from, but no guidance from the doctor in terms of the fertility. No. Um, You had help from a friend to get you expert guidance on the fertility. You got the fertility stuff taken care of. Yes. Kids, kids on ice. And uh, and then you started your your treatment. I didn't actually. What what I ended up doing was I got a second opinion. Uh-huh. And I'm really glad I did because so my gynecologic oncologist said I wanna do the completion surgery and I want you to have carbotaxol for six mm-hmm. rounds. And he referred me for a second opinion which I had. I also proactively scheduled in parallel a third opinion. And I'm really glad I did because the second opinion and third opinion happened within a week of each other. Mm-hmm. And So within that week, you got three opinions. So no, I had the original diagnosis and then I think about three weeks later, I had my second opinion and my third opinion. Okay. And what was amazing about that was that all three of them were different. Uh-huh. And this is because you've got a, a very rare type of cancer that, right. that there's not a lot of knowledge on. So It made me realize how important it was for me to be able to talk to different experts so that I could make my own decision about what I wanted to do mm-hmm. for my own health. Yeah. And in hindsight, um, a different person in different circumstances with different opportunities would likely have just done whatever their original doctor told them to do and never sought a second opinion because of concern of offending the doctor or very real concern about their own delays of their care. Like, I don't want to get a second opinion because I want to... The doctor says to do this, so let's get going. And honestly, my original doctor gave me a diagnosis and he he gave me his recommendation with such confidence mm-hmm. that I can see that being very alluring. Mm-hmm. This guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. And then when I got second and third opinions that were so different, I realized that that was a false confidence. Mm-hmm. That actually the reality is no one knows what to do. Mm-hmm. And anyone who tells you, I know what to do, is potentially 
kind of a snake oil salesman, at least in that situation, in the sense that for me to be make an informed decision, I wanted to be, I wanted amb- ambiguity if that's reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a false sense yeah. of security to have confidence, like, no, this is what you should do in yeah. this circumstance. And I can see why people would want that, but it's not necessarily based in data. It's not necessarily... It's not necessarily going to get you better. Right. And so... In order for me to ultimately make a treatment decision, I needed to, I feel like, look at reality and look at data and know what are the pros and cons of all these different options and what, what should I do. And I ultimately decided to do something different than what my original doctor recommended. Um, I didn't have a completion surgery. And I did do chemo, but I did different a different chemo regimen um, because the data shows that my subtype does not respond to the chemo that he, that he was recommended. Yeah. So what was your treatment? And I got a quote. What was your treatment? How long was it? How did it affect you, both physically and emotionally? Sure. And then how did it hit the people around you? So this is either a short or a long story. We'll see. So my treatment was to do six rounds of chemo, and the chemo I decided to do was called oxaliplatin and capacitabine or Zalox. Um, and I actually started my first infusion on my 36th birthday. All right. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to me. Have some chemo. And I was excited to start. I had my my uh, chemo during my 10th wedding anniversary. So, you know, it just, the milestones, yeah. 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 Well, and, I mean, truthfully, I, was, I saw it as a gift. Like, mm-hmm. finally, we're doing something... Because I had known about my diagnosis for at that point for three months, two and a half months. Whoa. Because wow. it took that long for treatment to start. And so you had to go through the fertility stuff. And went all through that fertility first, stuff, right. I had second opinions, and right. Right. then once we decided what we were gonna do, then it actually took time to get it going. Mm-hmm. I decided to do a um, a chemo that's traditionally used by uh, to treat GI cancers, or gastrointestinal cancers. So my doctor didn't want, he didn't feel comfortable prescribing it. So he, I had to find another oncologist mm-hmm. at the same medical group to be my doctor to administer that chemo. Okay, so let's, let's back up here. Yeah. So the first doctor that diagnosed you. Yes. And then you went and had three opinions. Yes. And then you chose your treatment path based upon those three opinions plus, plus your research. Correct. And you said, doctor, I want to go down this path. And your doctor said, I don't know how to do that. You need a new doctor? He said, no, that's, he said, that's totally reasonable. Mm-hmm. I will still be your doctor, but I can't administer that chemo to you. You'll need to find somebody else. So he, he wasn't proficient or certified or trained or whatever. For whatever reason, he's like, that's not my world, Uh so you'll need to find a medical oncologist. So Mm -hmm. then I had to fight to find a medical oncologist. And so, like, while this was going on, like, how was insurance and was that an issue then or not? So at that point, I had an HMO, Mm -hmm. and I will never have an HMO ever again. Um, I know you and I have had this conversation, and so it... Up until that point, HMOs worked great for me because I was a super healthy person and everything was fine. Mm-hmm. But I um, I ultimately was told 
you have to stay within our money. Within the HMO. So that limited your options. That limited my options. Um, and so then the only... So I decided I want to have this GI chemo. And the, my doctor, the gynecologic oncologist, basically said, you'll have to find somebody else within our medical group to do that for you. And that was logistically really challenging only because... When, an on- when you are sick with cancer, but you're not established with an oncology team, getting anyone to talk to you is really hard. Yeah. So finding, hey, which doctor here can prescribe this for me? I had to figure that out. And I had to call. And they would basically say, well, you have ovarian cancer. Go to the ovarian cancer doctor. And I was trying to explain to the wrong people. Right. I have an ovarian cancer doctor. But I need to find someone to prescribe this medicine for me. So it was a fight. It wasn't that the insurance denied me, but it was just that I was working in a system that wasn't set up to meet my needs. Right. So it took a long time for me to finally get the, a medical oncologist who was willing to prescribe this, this chemo for me, my gynecologic oncologist to oversee my care. And so, yes, my first chemo was at the end of November, even though I was originally diagnosed. My original surgery was the end of August. But I decided to go through six rounds of chemo um, and not have the surgery to see, basically, can I get away with it? Mm-hmm. Can I keep my ovary and key and I keep my uterus? Um, so the six rounds of chemo were wildly different, and they didn't, um, it didn't progress. It's not like round one was easy, round two was a little bit harder, round three was so a little bit harder. So you didn't have a cumulative effect kind of stayed about the same. No, it was wildly different. I think round three was really hard. Round five was really hard. Round six was easy. It didn't seem to have a really good rhyme or reason, so it wasn't super predictable. And like what, okay, so you had had six rounds. I had six rounds. And how long was each round? Each round was three weeks. Three weeks. And so six rounds, three weeks, you're looking at four months worth of treatment. Four and a half months about, yeah. Um, I had some weird side effects because of the drugs. These mm-hmm. drugs make you have um, an exquisite cold sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So it happened to be winter. Good luck. You know, thank goodness we live in California, so it wasn't unbelievably unbearable. But I literally couldn't even open the refrigerator. It was that was too cold, and I couldn't touch silverware. It was too cold. Um, and if I would get breathe in cold air, it would feel like I was choking. Um, so I just put on scarves and tried to stay warm and that was I wore gloves to manage that side effect and then I had the normal nausea fatigue and, and when you say normal nausea for people that don't know what normal nausea is for chemo what is that for you um it felt like the worst flu I've ever had mm-hmm. and I just felt like I wanted to throw up at all times mm-hmm. for and did, a couple of days. Did you did you throw up a lot or not? No, I you, didn't. You just felt like you were going to. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fatigue was pretty uh, was around the same time. So I would have chemo on Tuesday, and then on Friday and Saturday I was basically useless. Mm-hmm. Um, I rewatched all of Game of Thrones, which was like. A considerable undertaking, but I took it on and I, I did it. Right. Um, gave you something to focus on. Gave me something to focus on. But I remember one day realizing that I either need, I could empty out the dishwasher 
or I could put my clothes in the washing machine, but I couldn't do both. Mm -hmm. that, that would just take too much energy. So I decided to empty out the dishwasher, and it basically wiped me out for the whole day. Mm -hmm. um, but then by the third week of each cycle, I was back in the gym, I was feeling fine, and if you had met me on the street, you wouldn't know you that I was going through anything. And at that time, I also started going to an acupuncturist mm -hmm. to help with my symptoms, and I think that that was very helpful. But really, it wasn't that bad. Okay. As I mean, this like you're gonna have you know cancer patients go through chemotherapy and they're so yeah. sick and maybe it was just that. Maybe I, you had such expectations that, it, that. I honestly think life is all about managing expectations, yeah. right? So I expected it to be so unbelievably horrible that I was delightfully surprised that I could tolerate it. Yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I don't miss it. I don't want to go back to it, but um, it wasn't as... So was your, was your chemo, uh, was it pills? Was it IV? Was it injections? So it was both IV and pills. Mm -hmm. I would have the IV infusion on the first day of, of the 21-day cycle, and I would take pills the first day through the 14th. So you had one day of... One day of infusion and 14 days of pills. So you had a total of six infusions for your treatment. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And the pills, I was, they, I took them in the morning and the evening. Mm -hmm. I was amazed that I never forgot a dose. Were you working? Did you continue? I to would work. work I would work part time when I felt like it, and so, I was very grateful for the opportunity to have something else going on. Yeah. Yeah. It lets you feel like you're doing something. Yeah, and somebody else to take care. You're not a you're you're not a lost case cancer patient because you got work that you can do. Exactly, yeah. and like. It's nice to forget that you have cancer for a period of time. Yeah. Just, like, have your... I mean, you can only watch so much Game of Thrones. <laughs> Apparently, right? That's, it's over now. I've now yeah, watched yeah. the whole thing twice. Yeah. So... Yeah. But it... So, so was, how, how did it hit, like, what, friends, loved ones? Uh, uh, how they a, all respond? It's a very good question. Um, I don't know, because what I learned was... They really changed how much they talked to me about stuff. I I think I've always been the person that kind of knows what's going on with people, and for the first time in my life, I think people were protecting me mm -hmm. from their feelings and their concerns, mm -hmm. um, which I actually quite hated. Mm -hmm. um, I think people didn't want to. I've had conversations with people, and I want to ask Chris at least share his perspective, but I know, for example, my mom didn't want to quote-unquote burden me mm -hmm. with her anxiety or her worries. Mm -hmm. um, and I can understand that thought process, mm -hmm. but it actually just made me feel like I was living in the dark. You were a little bit disconnected from the, the, the group that you had before, right? Right. Because before you were integral, now it's like, okay, let's protect Shay. Exactly. A little bit like handling me with kid gloves. I remember, well, maybe Chris, you'll remember this too, right when I first got diagnosed, you had said something, I don't remember what it was, about, like, not wanting, you know, is that okay? And I remember snapping back Yeah, we had to fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I basically said, stop treating me differently. Yeah. Don't treat me like I'm fragile. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know, maybe you could talk no, about that, what that, that is. I mean, that's, and that's, 
that's a hundred percent true. Like that, that was a major concern because I think as someone who's in a supporting role in this, or take a step back. I think something Rick that you said years ago that always stuck with me through, through, through cancer or any health malady was that no one cares about your health as, as much as you do the individual. Right. Completely. And so Shay cares about her health unequivocally and Adam, her husband cares about it. Whatever. 99.99% and Shay's mom cares 99.98. And there's like ripple effects away from it. And so when, in Shay's case, it gets to me and it's 99 point whatever percent, it is very difficult to balance that, that, that care and, and know, especially with a dear friend, how do I expose them to the effects of his or her disease as they pertain to me? And, And so like, I, I think all of us confide in, in our friend group. All of us confide in Shay on a regular basis for life advice and things. And you're just very much in the know with everything. And this all of a sudden was different because of what you just said as an example with the dishwasher, right? Where that can knock you out for a day. Same thing with like mental health and stuff like that. Or other people's day-to-day lives mm-hmm. and, and little flare-ups and things that happen seem Trivial. quite quite trivial sure. and insignificant. So you sort of get into this as like me, I'm saying this me personally, you get into this sort of like what the, Why am I what, what the fuck's the point of yeah. me saying anything? Yeah. I've got like these little trivial inconveniences compared to what she's Exactly. Doing, right? Exactly. When all I'm wanting is to not talk about cancer and yeah. like I want to totally. know what's going on and right. I actually want to feel helpful. Right. But I, I get that you don't know... Well, I have a, I, I have a question for Chris. Right. Uh, based on something you said. Yeah. yeah. So, um, emptying out the dishwasher wipes her out. Yeah. But she's also saying, don't treat me as fragile. But she kind of is fragile if the dishwasher is wiping her out. Yeah. Were you, were you in a mm-hmm. mode of thinking... She actually doesn't have an accurate self-perception of yes. where she's at. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Interesting. So, it, like, I, 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 You're it's like, almost like, it's almost like, I, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call it lying, but I was conveniently omitting parts of a truth to you about, like, you know, like what you were saying, you know, where I'm like, Okay, yeah, I'll tell you more. Like, I'm sorry. Like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll just be completely open and honest with you. But I, I wasn't really going to do that. I wasn't going to do right. that. I just was you were more careful. To. Right. I was just careful yeah. on how I exposed that information. And is it both the, the physical fatigue and the emotional fatigue? Yeah, I think so. Because yeah. I think it's, as as we saw through this, these these past 18 to 24 months, like, it, it is... It's a comp. It's compounded interest that goes up exponentially, right? And so, but you can't really point to a graph or a map at like what point you're gonna hit, you know, sort of critical mass. So, um, and you just kind of, in my mind, you have to be careful with that. And then I, in, in this situation, 
for me, I, I was in the unfortunate or may, or maybe fortunate position to having gone through this in, in several capacities with, with other friends, with Dave and Jeff. Right. Um, and, and so the group kind of looked to, to me on like how to, there were all these like side text threads that didn't have Shay on. It was like, Hey, what do we say? You were sort of taking on a role of master of ceremonies for the friend group. Right. Or that type of thing. Right. The conductor to try to, and then I would, help yeah. And then I would feel like an asshole because it's not necessarily my place. Mm-hmm. And she's a full grown, she's an adult woman. Right. And, and She's well, like kind of short, aren't she? Yeah, she's not, yeah. I'm not getting any bigger. As full grown as I'm going to get. And, and so it's like, you know, who am I to make judgment calls on that stuff? And I, so it, it's just a very. And also, I could have guessed how I'd want totally. things to. But you don't know until you're in it. Yeah. Right? And so, like, you are trying to guess what I want to right. need. And how the hell do you know? Because. I mean, you can make a, an educated guess the same way I could have, but I was surprised as anybody about how I actually responded. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a it's like a sea of eggshells that you're trying to walk on. Like mm-hmm. you just like go into the or like field of eggshells. You just like walk out and you're like okay, like because you have all these you have people's emotions, you have health, you 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 have friendships, you have love, you have all these sort of just swirling competing components of life and and they all get different strength levels each day and it's just like it's it there so there's no like blueprint or like static thing you can point to for contingency plan and i think that is from a a a, a supporter's perspective that is probably the most because i like our friend Jen is the one who's the medical, uh, who's a, who's doctor, right? And so can help out in this very tangible way where I can read, you know, research and I can help and I can go to clinic and I can help translate and put it into, into you know, layman speak for people. But everyone else, the rest of us, is like, you sort of feel helpless in certain situations. And so whatever you can do, um, to lessen the burden, and I think that falls into that. I'm not going to tell you everything right. in my life, or I'm going to make it as easy as possible. And, and it, it's ironic because sometimes that becomes more of a burden than like right. Yeah. Was what was the difference for you in the diagnosis to figuring out treatment phase versus the, the start of treatment to end the treatment phase, or was it the same for you? With you. Just in general, what's it like to be a support person? Because you're also, I'm assuming, reeling from the news and trying to make sense of it and dealing with your own emotions. Yeah, I, I, from diagnosis, I remember the exact place I was when you called me to tell me that you had cancer. Because at that point, you'd had that surgery to to remove the mass, and 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 it came back. The pathology, you know, it was like, it was crazy. I was in an all-day meeting, and I was just surreptitiously checking my phone throughout the meeting, and we were getting, like, updates. It's like, all the masks removed, and, like, the initial pathology is, like, best-case scenario, it's all clear. And it's just like, man, this is amazing, you know? And so, and it was 
really joyous and, and freeing. And then a couple days later, I was up in San Francisco, and, and you called, and I was. And this is when I was still living in LA, so I was coming down to San Jose later that day, and and I thought you were just calling, sure, about something. And it was two thirty in the afternoon. I was in the financial district of San Francisco, and I walked outside this coffee shop to call. And just the tenor of your voice, as soon as it got on, like I knew you had cancer. Like I knew that's what it was because the it was just so fresh, and it was it was a gut punch, and it's like you catastrophize right away. Sure. Like just I'd be lying if I didn't say like immediate. Like my immediate first thought was like Shay's going to die. Like because it's like you, we knew when we went through with our other friends. Right? Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's that's where you're you you just kind of you kind of. You kind of go. Well, and your brain's doing that to try to help protect you. I yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. Um, then treatment. It, treatment was, I think, getting to that point is is really essential. Like because of what you both were talking about beginning, where it's like you just want to do like something. Like yeah. you know, it's because it's like all the. Because exchanging emails with doctors and getting the treatment plan, while it's important, it's obviously not doing... It's not going to affect It's tumors. not... Exactly. Tumors right. don't care. Tumors don't know what you're and emailing. They don't, they don't know. Yeah. It's, and, and so when when we finally got in there and a small group of us would go every time to Shays and Infusions, it was like, okay, we're like doing something. We're having like a plan and like, and, but I just, I don't know, for me, I had this nagging feeling that because it was so easy for you or because you were like doing so well with it. With the treatment? Yeah. I was like, this isn't working. Like, and I know that's not the, the, like, that's not logical, but I was just like, it was sort of like that, like, this is too easy. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not given like what the diagnosis was and I think I, I said that to you Rick when when you were because you know we would talk regularly about about this and how to navigate it because you, you've done so much like it, it, that was and you feel powerless in that too like as 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 a friend and then those of us within the friend group who are more sensitive or this is their first time to doing this it's like I just felt like I was keeping secrets from everyone because it's like the only person I could like really kind of confide in for was Rick to be like truly and honestly open about everything because you just don't want to insight panic. Yeah, yeah, or or you know bring people's mental energy or, or yeah. So you, yeah, so so you you've got this role as sort of um, conductor or coordinator of the friend group because you've had experience with other friends with cancer and a lot of the people in that friend group it's their first first rodeo and so you're afraid you're sitting there watching her going through the treatment and it's like I don't think it's going to work I can't tell any of my friends that it's not going to work I can't tell Shay it's not going to work yeah so if you you would call me and yeah what what did I say it was yeah tell me like I just I remember Rick saying that there is a, a how people there is a way for me in that role 
to give people that information where information? that I have concerns yeah. as an example that this isn't working mm-hmm. and there is a way to deliver said information that is neutral. I should say empathetic, but neutral, you know what I mean? It, 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 it does justice to the severity of the situation, but it also isn't inciting like what you said. Shay. It doesn't panic. Put spin on the ball. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It doesn't put spin on the ball. And there's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's threading a, 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 you know, a small, a small hole, a small needle. And, and, and that took practice with me. And like, I eventually with that would uh, let on to certain people. Like we, we have a friend um, in the group where I just totally fucked that up the first time, mm-hmm. you know, and like saying to, to our other friend, Chris, like, that I had concerns and you also have to prepare for the possibility Mm -hmm. that this won't work. Right. Like, because that lives out there in that realm. And, uh, I just remembered like the, like the color went out of Chris's face and he was just like very much like, I don't want to hear that. I can't hear that. You know? And it was like very like, and I was like, man, you know? Yeah. So I, I think I remember a conversation that the guidance that I probably gave was along the lines of, of you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And you don't want to confuse those two. Yeah. I think that's really good yeah. advice. It, because uh, you've got fears that it might not be working, but you don't know that it's not working. Yeah. I mean, if I was really, really, really sick, would you think it was working? Yeah, yeah see, it's see, funny. It's right. funny it's like interesting. That, right? Like, right. Our, our, like, our friend Dave was... Just the timeline was so compressed from when we found out about his esophageal cancer to it spreading and becoming extremely aggressive. And from Dave being, quote unquote, healthy on the superficial or surface level to being the sickest person I've ever seen in my life. And I remember, Rick, I would ask you, like, because it was just, I was scared to death, you know, I was like, is is Dave going to die? Mm-hmm. And like looking back on it, like the answer is, was a, a resounding yes. But in that moment, Rick would constantly say, and this is something that with you, I just always tried to Like I always tried to hone in on is like, you only have today. And it's like that, that really is today is today. And you can't worry about yesterday. And you can't worry about tomorrow. And yes, you do have to plan for yeah. it, but you just don't know. We're all going to die. We, exactly. We're yeah. all going to die. We don't yeah. know when. Yeah. And the fact that you're alive and going through treatment means you're, you're alive. alive. You're alive. Yeah. And so bringing the attention back to that in this in this great sea of fear and emotions, right? Yes. Well, it's very, very helpful. To be clear about what's true, like well, it's true that... You don't know if it's work at that moment. You, didn't you don't know, know if it's working. You don't know if it's working or not. That's yeah. true. And you have a fear that it's not. Right. Both of those are true. Right. But we don't actually. Neither of them tell you if it's working or not. Yeah. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're you're constantly, and, and this kind of goes back to you know one of the one of the things that I've said to you guys many many times: of what can you control and what can you not control? Right. right? And you control your emotions or your your attitudes. And you control your decisions, and that's it. Yeah. And you put all that energy into doing the best job you can with the decisions, 
and to managing and having a, the best attitude you can, that's as good as you can ever do. And if you're in that moment of uncertainty of, is this working or not? You, what you can do is go back and say, okay, is there anything that makes me question the decision I made? Yes, no, okay, I didn't. Then, all right, that's not a decision issue. It's just an attitude issue, right? right. And you just, you just put the energy on that. Yeah. Right. I right. probably said something about that. <laughs> no, I mean, that, yeah. and that's, yeah. that's 100%, 100% true. And it's yeah. like, it, I think it... It doesn't mean it's easy. No, no, no. And yeah. that, that's exactly what I was going to say because yeah. it's just like every day is a struggle to 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 maintain that outlook and like I, it's just like anything else it's like sport or learning a new language or you know being a college student or whatever you know you're yeah. te- you know you're learning how this like skill set that you're not that no one is born right. with or yeah. and very few people purposely it's like how to deal with with disease like like a cancer is you know, from the diagnosed patient to the supporting family members, it's a learned skill that, you know, you don't actively go seek and, like, kind of seeks you. Right. And to maintain that, it's tough. Yeah. That's what we hope this might yeah, provide some Yeah, help. exactly. Exactly. Well, it's interesting. I don't know if this is relevant here or not, but I remember when I was still in the diagnosis and figuring out what I was going to do about it phase, mm-hmm. I was driving and I had the thought, I'm so glad it's cancer and not something like MS mm-hmm. or ALS mm-hmm. where it's a guaranteed death sentence. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that it's possible that I'll live, mm-hmm. like that I can yeah. have hope. Yeah. And I think that that ambiguity is really challenging. Like we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. It could be this, it could be this and all yeah. this different statistics and all that other stuff. But it's not a 100% or 0% diagnosis. And, and there are people who are diagnosed every day with something that will, they will without a doubt, yeah. kill them. Yeah. And it was just a weird revelation for me to just, like, it shifted my relationship with cancer mm-hmm. to being like, thank God it's cancer and mm-hmm. not something that's a guaranteed death sentence. Yeah. It was a weird yeah. shift. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I want to in something here that relates to that because I think it happened to be the diagnosis for the type of cancer you have. Right? And there's a lot of people that have the diagnosis with another type of cancer that doesn't have as hopeful an outlook. Right? Right. And and also I think that there's lessons lessons that I've learned in, in working with people that can be applicable also for an ALS or an MS type, type of patient too, right? Where where even though there's not maybe the optimism of treatment and, and outcome that you may have with that disease versus some others, I think the lessons are still the same in terms of focus on treatment or focus on decisions, focus on attitude, right? And focus on what you're doing now you're, and not what may or may not come, what will actually inevitably come in the future. Right. Um, and I just think that the approach of you, you know this, if you get an ALS diagnosis or something, I just think that's a different problem to solve, which it, is an acceptance. Yeah, it is a different problem. I, I think, yeah, it is a different problem. You're, you're absolutely right about that. But I, I want to, I, I guess where I'm looking at is also to provide in, in mm-hmm. this some 
some hope, some guidance, some help for others that may be diagnosed with a cancer that isn't as isn't as as, as hopeful in, in, the, in the diagnosis, right? In in and uh, you know, it, it kind of gets to I don't know if you have this experience of actually it sort of relates to what you were talking about with that Instagram thing in terms of what do you do if you think I only have a year to live? Exactly. Right? What do you do if I only think I have six months to live? What do I what do I do if I think I have you know ten or twenty years to live? Right. Right. And and in some ways that's a that's a help in, in terms of how to live life a little bit better. At least it was for me. To to not think that I had a, a, an infinite runway of life, mm-hmm. but to think that I have a, actually have a finite life to live, mm-hmm. um, I think there's there's actually a benefit that can come out of that. And and, and uh, um, I mean we had we had some close friends that had diagnoses with cancers, which were which were uh, almost certainly fatal in a fairly mm-hmm. short period of time. Right? Mm-hmm. And yet, even though they were diagnosed with that, they they took the opportunity to live the life they had in a very, in as rich a way as they possibly could. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and the great joy and beauty that can yeah. come from that. Yeah. It's not to take away the, yeah. the, the relief that you felt, because I felt a similar relief, actually. So what happened with me on, on, the, uh, on that diagnosis piece, I was first diagnosed with a cancer that they didn't know. And they were going to start treatment the next day, they were going to give me chemo the next day, and like these doctors came. If a whole bunch of doctors come, they don't know shit. If one doctor comes, then they might know something. <laughs> that makes sense. If one doctor comes and they try to get you away from your family, they know something and it's bad. Huh? So I had I was wheeled away for a test. They did an X-ray test, and a doctor came to take me back in instead of a nurse or or, or an order. Oh. Because he wanted to tell me that they were going to start the chemo. They didn't know what type it was, and I was probably not going to live. Wow. And so I went to bed that night pretty sure that I only had, you know, months, weeks to live. Did they give you a timeline? They just said, yeah, I mean, things were progressing very fast. Remember, I my, my leg had swelled up. Right. I couldn't walk. I went from riding in Moab to not being able to walk in a Wow. I didn't yeah. appreciate the time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so things are moving very, very quickly. It comes like, we don't know what to do. And you're, it's probably not going to work, but, you know, we're going we're gonna to do whatever we can. Wow. And so I went to bed that night, and I called my best friend, called my friend Dan, and I talked to him, and I just said, you know, this is kind of it. And, and, you know, this is where I'm at, and we'll see where, where it goes. And there was a, you know, it was funny. I wasn't afraid. I was going to ask. Yeah, I wasn't afraid. There was sort of a, okay, this is life. This is kind of what life is. And it was a, it was an acceptance of what was going to come. And, Did you tell your family? Um, I don't. I honestly don't remember if I told my wife and kids that yet or not. Uh, I don't think so. Not because I... I don't think so, and the only reason I don't think I did tell them is I don't have a memory of telling Right. And so they may have already gone when the, when, when the doctor came. But the next day they came and said, okay, it's testicular cancer, and we're going to start, and, you're good, and you're, you're, it's a good news, right? And it was just it, 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 going to bed that night thinking, I'm going to die within a few 
<laughs> to the next day, the tremendous relief of having a, a, a type of cancer that there was hope for was pretty dramatic. Yeah, my uncle said something to the effect of, like, when you're really face-to-face with your mortality, life becomes exquisitely clear. Yeah, it does, yeah. It does. And you can only, it's a theoretical thing until it actually happens right. to you. Yeah. yeah. You can guess how you'll respond, but you don't actually know. Yeah. So this is another, this is another one of my favorite phrases, but it, 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 there's a difference between knowledge and understanding. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows life is short, and once you have that experience, you understand what it means that life is short. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think, and you feel it. Yeah, there's a difference between knowledge and understanding. It's yeah. Like it, it, it's in there. And that only comes with experience. This so seems was, like a, we haven't heard your treatment story. Okay, but this, you know what, we're going to save my treatment story okay. for the next episode. Because we're good. Because, because this is a good amount of time, and i got to go when... Uh, do some stuff. Take my take my wife to dinner. Hell yeah. yeah this yeah. was great. This was really good. Thank you.